Welcome back to the Long View Podcast. I'm your host, Parker Fleming. And however you're turn, tuning in, thank you for tuning in. You can find the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcast. And that has every single episode of the Long View, GBB Live, the Core 4 Podcast, the 3 and D Podcast, and the Starting 5 Podcast. And Grizzly Bear Blues is a blog under SB Nation. You can find it on the web at grizzlybearblues.com or on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies. You know, it's August. I know a lot of people are just swirling right now with rumors that they kind of create themselves. And uh, it actually involves uh, one of our guests uh, in the team that he covers. So let me introduce him real quick. He is a writer for Dime Up Rocks. Basketball News, SB Nations, Liberty Ballers, The Analyst. And then he also has a podcast called The House That Hinky Built on Blue Wire Pods. It's none other than Jackson Frank. Jackson, how are you? I'm doing well. I appreciate you having me on, and I appreciate you bearing through the uh, the 20 seconds to list everywhere I'm, I'm putting out content. But uh, I'm happy to talk some, uh, some Grizzlies today. Absolutely. I mean, hey, you're hustling. You're, you definitely put in a lot of work in your craft, and it needs to be recognized. So every, wherever you're posting work, people got to find it. And so real quick, before we get into the player I really want to talk about, so right now the in Grizzlies Twitter, the thing that's kind of been swirling around the past 24 hours is just the idea of getting Ben Simmons in some sort of three-team trade. I mean, it's August. That's the, that's the best way I could sum up. I kind of just said it's not crazy to think because they like big playmakers because, you know, recency bias. Everyone's like, oh, Ben Simmons, he can't shoot. He's not any good. That contract sucks, whatever. But fun August content nonetheless. Yeah, I mean, I, so I I definitely get the, the appeal for the Grizzlies. Obviously, they've been a little light on shooting in recent years. And um, presumably, if, you know, they were acquiring Ben Simmons, they would have to trade some of those those guys, um, you know, that's that currently spaced, spaced the floor for Ja and, you know, and Jaron and, and obviously JV before he was dealt. Um, but I, but I do think he, he makes some sense on the Grizzlies just because like they have so many interesting rotation players and not enough rotation spots. Um, the kind of the, the, the phrase that seems to be coming about around them is kind of a consolidation trade. Um, and I think, I think obviously that would make some sense. The, 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 Sixers have, you know, they have their superstar in Joel Embiid. They have another, you know, fringe star in, in Tobias Harris locked up, both of them for quite a few more years. Um, and so if they could get some of those those guys that the Grizzlies have, um, you know, whether it's Desmond Bain, Xavier Tillman, um, maybe a DeAnthony Melton, I think that, that could help them as well. Just, you know, maybe guys that have a little more offensive value, um, you know, in the fourth quarter of a second-round matchup or, a, you know, a tight first-round matchup, things like that, that Ben just hasn't offered at this point in his career. So I get it from their perspective, but I also get it for the Grizzlies because 
Um, you know, it did kind of seem like part of the reason they they made that Jonas Valanciunas trade was to, you know, was to move up in the draft and maybe get a more premium talent because they realized that yeah they've got a lot of good players but how can they how can they make that take that next step and you know surround Ja and Jaron um, with maybe one or two more you know really high level you know young guys and so um, I guess and Ben would Ben would qualify as that obviously he's a little older than than Ja and Jaron but you know still just turned twenty five I believe earlier this month or last month so. Um, certainly young enough that he could still kind of fit along their timeline. So um, I think just to answer it succinctly that, yeah, he definitely makes some sense for the Grizzlies, even if the, the, uh, the offensive side might be a little murky, you'd have to really find some, some shooting around, you know, him and jaw. Mm-hmm. For sure. You know, it may be August content, but I mean, nonetheless, it's fun to think about the fact that they're in the position to make sort, some sort of trade for an all-star talent something that this franchise really hasn't had before, nor had they been really willing to do before. But uh, one one player in particular you mentioned in there, and the reason why I'm having you on this show today, is DeAnthony Melton. And, and to just preface for all of our listeners here, the Grizzlies have a lot of guys that Jackson really has liked in the pre-draft process and continues to kind of follow here and there in different film bits and articles on his mini bylines. And, I mean, a few of them are uh, obviously DeAnthony Melton, Brandon Clark, Killian Tilly, Desmond Payne, Xavier Tillman, Jaron Jackson Jr. <laughs> all, all, a lot of the rotation players. So, I mean, Jackson, are you like a secret scout for the Grizzlies or something as, as to why they just keep getting a bunch of guys that you like? I don't think it's that. Maybe so much as there's just uh, that I, um, you know, obviously there's been a few people that have, you know, been, you know, or, I mean, they, I think they have a pretty, the front office is pretty analytically savvy. And a lot of those guys you mentioned, you know, have, have had good metrics or they've had good, you know, stat profiles in college. And, you know, that's maybe somehow how I've tipped So maybe I I've been, uh, you know, skewed that way in some of my analysis. So, yeah, I, I wish I could say I was a, I was a discreet scout for, for the Grizzlies, but uh, I think I, we just, I, whoever is making the decisions, you know, uh, Zach Kleiman and the rest of his front office and scouts, um, we share some similar uh, values in terms of what we, appreciate and, and look for with with young guys so i wish i could say i was but uh well i guess i couldn't really say if i was but uh i am telling the truth hand on my heart i'm not a not a discreet scout for the for the grizzlies sounds good and with, with melton in particular i mean he took this just really awesome leap uh a, a leap that you like to see especially from year two to year three it really is all tied to his improvements as an outside shooter his percentage jumped about 12 to 13 percentage points going up from 28.6 to 41.2 while increasing his shooting volume as well. And that in turn kind of improved his offensive advanced metrics as well. So Jackson, what what did you think of the Anthony Melton's improvements last year and just uh, what, what it adds to the rest of his game? Yeah, I mean, so I think obviously, as you mentioned, the big jump was the shooting, um, not just uh, the efficiency, but the confidence and the volume was much better as well. Um, I'm trying to pull it up here quickly, but I think his three point rate went up pretty significantly as well. Like in the 50 percent. Uh, yeah, I mean, just and it wasn't just spot ups. You know, he did a little bit of, you know, he could relocate to openings around the arc when Jaw was driving or someone else handling the ball. Um, but yeah, his three point rate went from 34.9 his first year in Memphis to 53.7. So uh yeah obviously like that's a huge jump but you know he showed some off movement ability you know not like he's not doing Duncan Robinson Joe Harris type things but the sort of thing where you can occasionally run him off the screen he sets his feet well 
Um, I know I know Evan Barnes of the Commercial Appeal had a good article breaking down the mechanical improvements um, Melton made. I don't recall them off the top of my head, but he clearly looked like a more fluid shooter with his release. Um, so that was the biggest thing with his jumper, but um, even showed a little more comfort in that mid-range pull-up as well. Um, you saw it at time. You saw some flashes of comfort his first year in Memphis, but last year he was he was better. Like I think he shot about forty-eight percent on pull-up twos. Um, and so I think those are the, the biggest things. It's just taking a big leap as a shooter. Um, the defense has always been there. I mean, he's been a stellar defender, you know, all three years of his career, but uh, it was a lot tougher to get him maybe the type of minutes you'd want to, to, to showcase that defense because of the lack of a jumper. And um, even though he'd already, he already kind of looked comfortable handing the ball, he didn't have the, the scoring and the shooting chops to really make good on that. So it all ties back to the jumper and the, the improvements he made. I'm really curious to see, you know, how much of that is legit. Um, every time a guy makes, you know, not every time, but a lot of times a guy makes a jump as a shooter, stories come out about you know, mechanical changes. And so that's not to say I'm discrediting them by any means, but I am curious kind of what level of actual shooter he is. He's at 35% for his career, as you mentioned, 41% last year, but, um, you know, wondering what, what that kind of levels out at, if at all this year, because I do think that that matters as you project him forward, you know, as he enters his prime, because he's still only, is he 23 yet? I don't know he was 22 last year, but point being still, um, you know, just turned 23 back in May, late May. So um, still quite young, still has a few years until he kind of fully reaches that prime or the, the peak of his career. Right. And, you know, he had those shooting improvements. And it's crazy, too, given the stretch of games that he had towards the end of the regular season, that his percentage still stayed above 41%, kind of just goes to how awesome he was shooting the ball. Uh, prior to this slump, but there was this little stretch, you know, around April, late April that just continued on until the end of the regular season, hit a little bit in the postseason aside from one game, but his shooting just kind of tanked. Uh, his field goal percentage went down to 31%, 29% from three, and just kind of decreasing his volume as well. And, you know, nobody really talked about it because the returns of Jaron Jackson Jr. And, and then Justice Winslow not painting out. And then Brandon Clark going through a struggle of his own. It kind of overshadowed it a little bit, especially in the middle of a playoff run. So what do you just make out of this mirage? Do you think it's just one of those things that's just that, that fatigue of the condensed schedule just kind of got to him? Or is it a regression? I lean towards just the condensed schedule. He had also come back from an injury prior to that, but I kind of want to hear your thoughts on that as well. Yeah, I, I think it's just the ebbs and flows um, as a shooter. I mean, it was still a fairly small sample, um, you know, of that stretch. I mean, he was at like, what, 44% of you, even mm -hmm. 45% before that little, that downturn to end, end the spring. Um, so I, I don't really worry much about it. I, I know there was a piece, I think a few years ago for it, nylon calculus that talked about it takes about 753 point attempts to really kind of stabilize in terms of percentages with regard to predict predictiveness or predictability um and so it's just a small sample um it's not something i really worry about but um yeah as you mentioned maybe he was dealing with an injury um you never quite know shooting is i mean basketball i mean sports are about rhythm and if there's something that's kind of nagging at you it doesn't allow you to get that rhythm maybe it's the release uh you know your release maybe it's your, your footwork things like that um, so I'm not really worried about it. Um, it's not like I'm going to take that small sample and be like, yeah, this is more emblematic of, of who Melton is as a shooter. Um, again, just really curious to see, see kind of where he is this season, um, because I do think the jumper looks better, but I always do worry about kind of the 
confirmation bias. I was trying to mm-hmm. merge those words into one. Um, I sometimes worry about that, right? You know, it's like, oh, the jumper looks better. But would I be saying that if he was shooting 31% from three rather than 44%? Um, so long, long way to say that I'm not, not really worried. I think it's just a small sample variance that happens a lot through the, through the part of a year. It just does, it stings a little more, it resonates a little more because it happened at the end, right? Like if it was a, if it was something that happened last year from mid, mid-January to mid-February and he was great every other part of the year, then you probably wouldn't worry much about it. But because it's kind of fresh in our memories in terms of who, who Melton is as a shooter as of late, uh, it, it becomes a little more um, salient or prevalent. But I'm not really worried about it. I am just continue to be curious about where, where he lands next year as a shooter. Because I do think he's better, but I don't know if he's a 40-plus percent guy moving forward, um, which doesn't have to be. I mean, that's the, if he's that sort of guy, especially next to Jaw, um, that's really useful. But I think he can still be kind of a 38 39% in conjunction with the volume increase and in the versatility we saw last season. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I mean, his, like you said, it's the ebbs and flows. And, you know, even if it kind of just turns out to be 37, 38%, that's still great next to John. That's above league average. And also to just that variety. I mean, you're having another two guard that can either hit catch and shoot threes or can pull up and create a zone, which kind of caught me by surprise last season. Just the fact that he was pulling up heat checks and hitting spot, uh, pull up threes and defenders' faces. I mean, that's just, like you, you had said, the confidence that he started to shoot the ball with was just really a big, uh, big ceiling raiser for Melton, for this Grizzlies team. And, you know, he's just still so young. There's still more to add to his game. Like, what do, what do you think is next to add to Melton's game to get to his ceiling? Yeah, so I think some of the things that stood out to me throughout the season, um, you know, I mentioned kind of the the increased comfort as a pull-up shooter, um, you know, from, as you mentioned, from three, I don't think about one three-pointer per game off the dribble, but um, had some impre- really impressive shot-making flashes for a guy who was, you know, 22 for most of the year. Um, and he showed some comfort in that mid-range area, but, um, and whatnot, but, you know, only think about one pull-up two per game. So I think expanding that could be interesting. I think he has some ability to be a secondary handler alongside Jaw. Obviously, Jaw is going to, you know, take a ton of usage, you saw that in the playoffs. You also saw maybe some of the, the limitations around him, like how, I mean, there were times late in that Utah series where Jaw was just absolutely gassed because he is attacking Rudy Gobert 33 times a game. And that's a really arduous thing. He was great at it, but you could tell, you could tell it really wore him. So I think getting even more comfortable off the dribble for Melton, um, alleviating a little more, pre- alleviating a little more pressure for Jaw would be huge. Um, obviously the Grizzlies have big intentions with this core, and I think you need a little more shot creation around him. I mean, just you saw how how much they relied on Dylan Brooks and, and Jaw. I think, you know, Melton could add a nice little, you know, variance to it. So that would be another thing for me. Um, the finishing wasn't great. Uh, he doesn't have great kind of explosiveness getting downhill. He isn't very explosive leaping off the ground to finish around guys. And, you know, despite having a good wingspan, he is about six. I think he's, he's six two, I think, if I recall. Um, he's not, I mean, not super big there. So. Those would be the things for me. And then as a passer, I think like he shows some interesting passing flashes, but what I, where I see improvement necessary is kind of this discretion. I think sometimes he, you know, skews way too far for toward, you know, being tepid and timid as a playmaker. Other times he's kind of reckless and daring. So I think finding that proper balance would be really important for him as well offensively um, because the defense is there. Like, I mean, he's already just a tremendous defender. Um, I'm not saying it's a, the best you know guard defender in the NBA, but um, when you're looking at kind of the development, I think it's largely tied to more comfort as a pull-up shooter. You saw the flashes as you mentioned, and then 
better balance as a, you know, as a, as a playmaker uh, with the read and the decision-making there. And then if he can get better around the rim, um, cause last year, yeah, according to cleaning the glass, he was in the 55th percentile at the rim, which was the 30th percentile or he shot 55%, excuse me, which was the 30th percentile among what they dub as combo guards. So um, those are kind of the ways I think I'm looking for Melton to improve. doesn't have to all happen in one year, but I think incremental improvements over the next two or three years would make him a really, really interesting player. No, for sure. And a lot of those improvements that you mentioned just tie into this to this idea that I have kind of developed from watching, you know, the Tyus Jones, Justice Winslow situation from watching teams just crunch the rotations when it comes to playoff time is can they find a guy in the backcourt that can either play next to Jaw or run the offense without him? Because, you know, with Tyus, he can't necessarily play Next to John Morant, super well. You're giving up a lot of size defensively. Uh, he's not the uh, spot spot up shooter that you'd want him to be next to John either. And you know it's just kind of weird and murky throwing him into playoff minutes when you're not really giving him time to really kind of get into a groove. You're just giving him like nine to ten minutes because you're playing John Morant thirty nine to forty minutes. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like that's something that's like ideal for Melton to be this guy that, you know, in the regular season, he can be that combo guard off the bench. But when it comes down to it, when the rotations are getting tighter, he's a guy that you can throw in lineups with John Morant, but also in those eight to 10 minutes that you need to give Jaw some rest. He's the kind of guy that can run the offense. And I think that that right there is one of the biggest, uh, biggest deciding factors of his ceiling, especially when it comes to potentially being like that, third guard off the bench or potentially being a starter next to John Moran or really, really anyone. Yeah. So I think, you know, obviously, so what Memphis, you know, did with, with that trade, trading Jonas Valanciunas, you know, one of their most important players, I, I don't really want to like get into like whether you, how, how exactly you view him in the hierarchy there, but clearly a very important guy for them. Um, I think that signals that like they're trying to find how can we take that next step? You know, like we made, we made the playing game two years ago. We made the playoffs last year and had some really exciting games against a good Utah Jazz team. But what can we do to make sure we're not stuck in that five to eight or nine range of teams? What can we do to get home court advantage and really take that next step? And like that, the, the choice there was to trade, you know, as Valanciunas and try and get, you know, they drafted Zaire Williams, who had some really nice flashes and it makes sense for them long-term. Um, but my point is that like, they really need to focus on like, what can we do to prioritize this as a development year? Like we have good players. We're going to be a competitive team, but I think really kind of exploring the depths of uh, Melton's offensive game and also the lineups that he fits best in would be one of the examples to make sure you're, you're maximizing this kind of quote unquote bridge year. Um, you know, it's, it, that also goes into, you know, what can we see out of Jaron this year? Where's his optimal position? Um, you know, can, can Xavier Tillman actually handle the ball? Like we saw in summer league, is that something we could do at times in bench in bench lineup? So um, I think that definitely ties into Melton. Um, and I, I love him long-term. If he can continue to get better offensively alongside jaw, as I mentioned, I think the floor spacing is really nice because of the fact that jaw is kind of relentless attacking the rim and is very good at it. Um, I think he has some secondary handling ability, especially the passing improves and he's more comfortable in that mid range area. Um, you know, what, what the, what the Grizzlies big men were really great at last year with, with Jonas and, and, and uh, Tillman, they, they set fantastic screens. Obviously Jonas is gone, but Tillman's still there. And that really helps you in picking roles, right? You're always going to be able to turn the corner. So can Melton, you know, 
get more of those pick and roll reps and get more comfortable and kind of figure out all the different reads that are presented to you when you get downhill around a screen and you have open space. So uh, I'm really curious to see, you know, where he lands in terms of his offense development after another season. Um, and I think the Grizzlies really should kind of be trying to give him some, some handling reps and sometimes it'll be rough. Sometimes he will get stonewalled at the rim or he won't, he'll pass up an open mid range jumper. Or he'll have a, a cold stretch off the dribble from three and it'll be tough, but I do really think there's some pretty worthwhile avenues to explore with him. And even if he doesn't get there, I think he is one of the kind of their three. I think he's their kind of their third most intriguing young guy behind behind John Jaron, whatever you want to find young as obviously is a little subjective, but um, I would say kind of that 23 and under core or so. Um, that's how I view it. So hope that kind of answers the question, but I really do think this is a key year for the Grizzlies as they kind of trying to figure out their, the hierarchy of their youth, obviously jaws at the top. You think Jaron's second, but they've got a lot of other guys that I think it's important to figure out who is actually worth, you know, you know, giving a second contract to, and who is someone we should maybe be trying to trade um, and consolidate things. Mm-hmm. For sure. And really, I mean, I'm on record. I've, I think DeAnthony Melton, aside from Jar or Jaron, he has the third highest upside on the team just because, you know, for one, he has good analytics, the, there's the a multiple different stat lines that just indicate that he's very impactful um, mm-hmm. on the court. I mean, you could really kind of like do a bunch of filters and stuff to really kind of put him in like very unique company and such. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think that his his skill set is also just reminiscent to a lot of guys that have just had very big impacts on championship winning teams. Mm-hmm. I've seen – I think it's kind of like similar to like a Van Fleet or a Drew Holiday where, I mean – and it's just one of those things where I kind of compare it to uh, like that Warriors situation a few years back or even the Raptor situation with Siakam. I remember uh, somebody at the Ringer wrote about it. can't remember off the top of my head. But just kind of like the Pascal Siakam is like, okay, who can pop with a bigger role? And DeAnthony Melton was mentioned in there. And I, I think it's something that could be a real ceiling raiser that they got to try to unlock. And there's a good starting point right now because the Grizzlies traded away Grayson Allen. Granted, we still got to see if Taylor Jenkins is going to go with Morant, Brooks, Anderson, Jackson, or Adams, or is he going to go with Boehner, Melton at the two? Right now, recency buys because of Summer League and his size on the wing. Bain has kind of emerged as like everyone's favorite option to start at the two guard. But with Melton, is it one of those things where he could be that starting two yard next to Jaw and they should try it out? Or like what uh, Matt Moore, a.k.a. Hardwood Paroxysm, has tweeted numerous times. Like, it, should they try to get him going on that six, me- six man of the year campaign? Yeah, I, I think it's – I, I kind of like what you threw out a little earlier about maybe trying to prioritize some handling development and so I think what makes sense is seeing the viability of the, the jaw and Melton minutes. I think they've always graded out very well on cleaning the glass. Um, I don't know if the sample's ever been statistically significant enough to project forward, but um, conceptually and, and like skill set wise, it, it makes sense. You know, you have the, you know, the guy that can handle the on-ball defense. Um, that's you know, Melton's good on and off the ball, but um, you know, Jaws really struggled kind of with screen navigation throughout, I think, especially last year. And so letting him not have to take, you know, one of the better assignments. Um, you know, obviously Dylan Brooks is going to take a lot of them uh, as well, but I think Melton compliments him well there. 
as you know, just a, a good a good defender, a good spot up shooter, as I've said. But then you know maybe when uh, Jaws out of the game and your lead creator is is on the bench, um, trying to kind of piece together creation, whether it's uh, you know whether it's the occasional post up for Stephen Adams, whether it's seeing what Jaron can do as a handler, Dylan Brooks and his you know his ability to get to that mid range pull up. So uh, that's how I like it. I get the idea of a six man, but I think like I, I don't think that is the I don't think that's his that's his ceiling. I think that could maybe be an outcome for him as a third guard is it, as a high level third guard, but I think there's potentially more there. And I don't like the idea of hamstringing him this early, especially because they are clearly trying to prioritize some sort of development by trading away Jonas Valanciunas. I really do think this is a key year for them and figuring everything out. So I like, I like the idea of seeing, you know, is, is the jaw Melton backcourt actually something that we can invest in long-term or do we need to find, you know, is Melton more suited as a third guard? Do we need to find the actual two guard long-term next to jaw you know, who isn't on the roster currently? For sure. I mean, yeah, whether it's Melton or Bain, like mm-hmm. it's worth trying to see if either of those guys could be that guy next to Ja. And, you know, you mentioned his ceiling, and this is the Longview podcast looking at everything with the Memphis Grizzlies with that big picture in mind. A lot of the stuff that we've talked about in this podcast here. And, you know, I, I know I use player comps with Melton, whether it's like a Van Fleet or a Holiday. We've used roles as terms of ceilings. Just however you like to talk about a player's ceiling what what would you say is melton's ceiling and his upside long term yeah i think that's an interesting question i i do um i did I, for anyone who wants my like most in-depth breakdown of melton i did write a piece over at fan cited about uh, in february i think i think titled uh d'anthony melton is critical to the grizzlies young chorus over at uh fan cited it's a step back um but anyhow i i do think he is someone who could put together star adjacent impact at his peak in three or four years. Um, I don't know if he'd be considered the, the traditional star um, because that is often associated with offense and shot creation. I don't think he'll ever be a star level shot creator, but the defense is legitimately very good. We've barely, we've barely gone in depth on it. We've talked a lot about the offense development, understandably so, but obviously Grizzlies fans understand how good he is defensively in a lot of ways. But I do think he's a guy who could be at the, at least an above average starter. And I deem that as someone who's a top, 60-ish guy. I mean, you always have to look at it. What does that mean? There's 150 starters in the NBA. So if you're top 75, you are by definition above average. Um, but I think, you know, top 40-ish, top 50, would I would not be shocked or surprised by it. I'd be quite encouraged, but I think that's absolutely within the realm of possibility, even if it is kind of the highest or higher end outcome form. I think just given the offensive growth he made in one year, you don't ever want to project that every season because as you continue to grow in your game, it gets harder to maintain that same level of growth but i think the shooting growth is really encouraging if it sticks and i i do think there's some comfort to handler in that mid-range game even if he's not quite confident in it enough so i, I really do like what he what he can be and i think he you know we kind of seem to be on some of the wavelengths in terms of where he ranks on the, the grizzlies young core but i think he he really does have some on you know some kind of latent potential as a you know a star adjacent guy or at least someone you talk about kind of the metrics at least someone who ranks highly year after year in those kind of those impact metrics in a bigger role Obviously, right now he he ranks highly in them, but he doesn't play you know the biggest minutes load he could. But I think he's a guy who could play 32, 34 minutes at his peak and be someone who's ranking top 40 in some of those impact metrics and actually being that level of player. No, for sure. I mean, Jackson, everyone throughout the season was screaming it. I mean, we were watching Grayson Allen start over Melton. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm a great big Grayson Allen guy. 
and he was good last year. But you know, you just have you have those metrics with Melton. You have that uh, you have his impact in that limited sample. That's just there's so much to untap there, and especially like you mentioned the on off stuff, especially with him and Jaw. I mean, I, I think I think it's just something worth tapping into. Yeah, this past season, John Morant and D'Anthony Melton, per cleaning the glass, they played 930 minutes together. They outscored opponents by 11.2 points, which that's just that that's elite right there. And you know, when you, in a very analytical minded front office, you know, you got to be kind of looking at that stuff. It's like, okay, we got to find more ways to get Morant and Melton minutes to see what it can do in a larger sample. I mean, you, we saw that with the trade for Grayson Allen. And I, I know they're prioritizing size on the wings. You can tell with the the drafting of Zaire Williams and the trade for Jarrett Culver. But, you know, I, I still think that there's just so much to unpack with that. And, you know, it may not be in a starting dose, but I think one thing that needs to be kind of talked about more rather than starting is closing. And I think – most nights you need to close with John Moran and D'Anthony Melton on the floor together. Yeah, I think, you know, I think, yeah, it does kind of, it, it you know, I, I would agree for the most part. I think there's, there's some sort of like game script there that you could, you could, uh, you know, take into account, but generally speaking, I think Melton will be one of your five best options on a given night. Um, but that's also part of the beauty of the Grizzlies is they, they have so many like complimentary guys um that fit well with each other that you can kind of tailor it to a certain matchup depending on things i mean you can you know you can go big you can go a little smaller if you want you know if if jaron's really working well at the five you can go small there and, and figure things out so that's that's where i think the grizzlies are such an interesting spot because they've got a lot of experimentation and i hope that they they dive into it. and i do think they will i think clearly there's you know there's there's not i wouldn't say a mandate but there's an emphasis to use this as, as less of a everything's about winning and some and more of a let's figure out what we got with all our young guys. And I think, you know, Taylor Jenkins has shown some creativity and experimentation with things. No, it's not. I know. Like, I, I agree that I would, I, if I had a, if I had a direct line to Taylor Jenkins, I would be, I would be texting him all the time, asking him to play Melton more, but I think he has shown some creativity there. So um, I really like this Grizzlies team, obviously, as you mentioned at the top, but I am really, am curious to see what they do this year. And I think this is probably the second or third team I've talked about this week where I've used some form of, I'm really curious about them, but it really is the truth, but uh, yeah, Melton, I'm you know, not going to say he stands to the center of it all, but I do think he's, he's pretty close to the center of it. I think he really is important to how good the Grizzlies can be with, with kind of the, the jaw led uh, core. For sure. And you know what, one last question here, just because I mentioned earlier in the show that the Anthony Melton, you can kind of just put a bunch of filters and get him into some really unique company, like really some awesome company. I remember, one time I did that for an article, it ended up being in a clutch points graphic. It was kind of kind of funny there. But uh, so Costa Medovedovsky, uh, the creator of the Darko NBA projection statistic, mm-hmm. uh, put out a list of projecting 23 and a half year old players and younger for 2026. John Morant was one and Melton was third, which if that happens, if Melton is <laughs> Somehow better than Zion, Luca, Lamelo, MPJ, among others, as long as well as John Morant being the number one guy in the league. I mean, you might as well start the parades now for 2026. You might need to schedule your flight to Memphis, Jackson. But you know that you have all these metrics and stuff, and Melton's just like weirdly fixated in there. 
Like, what 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 do you make out of that? Because you know, it's he's not going to be better than those guys. So if he is great, awesome. But it's not going to happen. But what do we make out of it? Is out what I would ask. Yeah. So I mean, I think he he does a lot of things that these metrics t- tend to like. Uh, at least last like his efficiency was pretty good as a scorer. Um, had good you know steal and block rates. Um, really good defensively as well. I'd imagine Memphis's net rating and on off net rating was pretty pretty strong in his favor um, last season. But um, like you never want to read in again. But it helped because he is a role player that was playing you know half the game roughly, not or not even half the game. I think it was about twenty minutes per game last year. Um, but I think you know that's part of the reason. Not the reason I like him, but I think that he fares so well on those. It gives me some hope with projection if he can continue to grow offensively um, because he does so many things that like, I mean, there are, there are absolute flaws with single year metrics. Of course, um, you know, you have always, you have to be kind of precarious with them, but he does so many things well that clearly impact, you know, that are clearly impactful skills, whether it's the, it's the shooting, it's the defense um, it's the creating turnovers. I mean, Creating turnovers is a really, really valuable thing to do um, because one, you end a possession for a team and two, you, you know, create a fast break, which is just more efficient offense typically for a team. So um, the way I view it is like, yeah, if he continues to build his offensive game in conjunction with all the things he already does well, like that's the reason I, I do think there's a, there's a chance he's a potential star or there's a chance he's a star, a potential star and a chance would all be redundant. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of my, my view of it, I never want to treat those as, you know, canon, but I do think they're worth using as, you know, in, in, in useful tools or informative tools. And I think because Melton already does so many things well that are, they're important. Um, if we continue to see more offensive growth in some of the ways that maybe I laid out previously in the episode, um, you'll really see a guy who, who takes off and is like a guy who can play 34 minutes a night and still fare really well. And, your whatever metrics you like. I mean, he fared well in estimated plus minus last year. He was good in, you know, B-ball indexes LeBron. So, um, you know, again, you always want to be, you always want to be a little bit uh, careful with how much you read into single year metrics. But um, I think when you look at what Melton does on the floor uh, and the growth he's shown offensively, there's a lot of reason to be encouraged by him um, in part because of these metrics. For sure. Jackson, that's about all I have for this show. Is there any other final remarks you want to add, or is there anything that you want to plug in before we sign off? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, I think I did pretty well to convey my enthusiasm for Melton and the Grizzlies as a whole. If that's not clear to the listeners, then uh, I make this my official statement. I am. Uh, I do think Melton will be an above-average starter at his peak, and I think the Grizzlies are a really interesting team uh, next year moving forward. But um, you can find my work, you know, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Jack Frank underscore JJF everywhere I talk and write about the NBA is listed in my bio there. Um, nothing, nothing, uh, imminent though, but I appreciate you having me on. Always excited to talk about Melton and the Grizzlies because they're, uh, they're both really interesting and, and captivating topics. So I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. For sure. Thank you so much, Jackson. Yeah. Make sure y'all are following him on Twitter at Jack Frank underscore JJF. If you're if you call yourself a member of NBA Twitter and you don't follow him, you, then you're not really in NBA Twitter. He does a lot of work as at the many bodlines I mentioned, but also to really just kind of throughout throughout the year. I mean, no matter what time of year it is, even in August, he's pumping out great work and posting a lot of good clips and film analysis as well in his tweets. So yeah, make sure you are following Jackson on Twitter at Jack Frank underscore JJF. And you can follow me on Twitter at Paca underscore Flocka. Make sure you're 
liking, subscribing, downloading, whatever you got to do for the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network. And make sure you're reading all of our work over at grizzlybearblues.com and follow us on Twitter at SB and Grizzlies. And with that, that's it. 